This podcast is brought to you by So Much to Say, a book of quotes available now on Amazon and all e-readers and www.craigtherighterstewart.com. So you did Jesus Christ Superstar. How mm-hmm. did that? How did you get that role? What was your role? Uh, my role in Jesus Christ Superstar was a dancer. And I got that because my uh, friend Camille Brown, mm-hmm. uh, she has a company called Camille Brown and Dancers and I actually danced with her. And it was her first time um, doing a live TV broadcast so she asked most of the dancers to be in it right. and so it was basically a direct book and this was on NBC <laughs> it came on April 1st okay Easter. on NBC yeah. okay and John Legend was a part of the show was he John Legend uh, he actually played Jesus okay so, were there any other names that we were uh, it was John Legend Sarah Bareilles uh, Brandon Victor Ditson I like Sarah Bareilles she was the one that sang, sang that song I'm not gonna write you a love song something like that you know I don't know cause like you don't know that song I just know her from um, writing Waitress the musical uh-huh. and like, she is a pop star but right. I don't know all her songs right I just know that song that was like her uh, and then she has this song called Brave or something like that this is very personal work for me Politics. Politics. I believe I was called to Sex. tell my story, use my voice, be a Gaze. voice for Gaze. the community, to speak Gaze. to Gaze. and for a community of people Gaze. that's been ignored, denied, love, love, relationships. relationships, religion. This is my life's work. Religion, religion. I want to use words to. Uplift, heal, inspire, encourage. Do something different. Every Monday at 10. Good day, thinkers, thought leaders, progressives, and dreamers. I'm Craig, the writer, Stewart, and this is So Much to Say. These are my thoughts and my voice on black shit, white shit, gay shit, and everything in between. Today, we are talking to my friend Jewel Lane. He is a choreographer, dancer by nature, by trade. I actually met you in 1998. Did you remember the year? Oh, yes. You remember the year? Mm -hmm. I knew the year because I had just moved here. I just graduated from Hampton University, and I was writing for a theater company called YEA, also known as the Freddie Hendricks Youth Ensemble of Atlanta. And you were one of the the members, one of the cast members. Yeah, man. Um, You know, that's actually where I got my initial training from um Mm -hmm. you know it was just a space just for us just to be free as young adults and just trying to figure Mm -hmm. out the world of um professionalism performing arts and all of that so So how did you know that you were a dancer because i mean yes the the ensemble was comprised of singers actors dancers but how did you know that because it's one thing to be able to dance it's another thing to know that you can choreograph i think um i always wanted to dance Mm -hmm. uh and i Started dancing around my house very early. Um, I thought I was on the show Fame when it came out a long time ago. I had no idea what the context of the show was. Well, you got your Leroy earring you, on You today. know, you know. Um, shout out to Gene Anthony Ray, um, who, who actually played Leroy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I used to dance around the house a lot, and it wasn't probably until I got to Tri-Cities. Uh, and I met, high school. Yeah, Tri-Cities High School. Um, and I met Freddie Hendricks, and, you know, I got involved into YEA, and he had me moving mm-hmm telling me to move my hips because he actually knew that I could move but I was just too shy to do it because I was like and he would say what move your hips he was like you know just move your hips you know move your arm and I was like okay okay mm-hmm. but you know after a while I got the swing up and I was like this is what I've been always like I always wanted to do this um but Tri-Cities was a performing arts school and he was a drama teacher there mm-hmm. and so like there were some really great people that came out yeah. of the school like Candy Burris Candy Burris uh, Kenan, Kenan Thompson Kenan Thompson Ekon from Kenan and Tell Kenan and 
Kale. Kenan and Kale, mm-hmm. but now he's on SNL. SNL. Um, and who else did you say? Saikon Semblo. Yeah, she was. She had a role, a recurring role on Scandal, yes. the final season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saikon. Yeah. She did a lot of them on Broadway as well. Uh, Aida. But yeah, so Hawaii was just this amazing ensemble. And I remember it was like the first family for me when I first moved here. I didn't really know people here. I, I didn't know anybody here. I knew like two people. What was your next step after YA? Like how long were you in the company? Well, you know, it's funny because I always felt like I was coming back and forth. Um, I was 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up going to North Carolina School of the Arts. I remember that. And it was really hard for me because I was like, I don't want to leave. But I felt like I needed to uh-huh. get an education if I was going to take this dance thing seriously. Yeah. And But I just remember every summer I would come back and help out with the company or we would do other productions and I would teach class and things like that. So how important is it for people to get an education too? Because a lot of people say, well, that's not really what I want to do. Like I know what I want to do is rooted in the arts Mm -hmm. and that has more to do with experience than going to school yeah I think I don't think school is for everybody Mm -hmm. but I think I was so determined to learn the language of dance like I had a lot of raw talent Uh but I couldn't even do the proper execution of things which I thought I was exquisite in Mm -hmm. my 18 year old self but when I got to school it was like a rude awakening Mm -hmm. but I needed that because I needed to be surrounded with like minds and people right. who wanted to get a dance education but it's it's important you know it's, it's important to know your history and just to know like why am i doing these steps so all of that cultivation at school right like really helped me and also it's important to 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 be i guess guided by someone who has more knowledge than you oh yeah and and it's also good to watch too and, and it's also good to yeah. watch so you you learned some things other than technique when you were away at school. And so when you came back from school, you came back to Atlanta, you were you were helping out with YEA. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of, how did you make it like your your thing? Like how did you begin to earn money because I think a lot of artists struggle with how to go from working a job mm-hmm. and making money from their craft. Well, I, I actually um right after school my senior year, uh, there was a choreographer by the name of Carolyn Dorfman. She came to North Carolina School of Arts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about her. She had auditions for her company, and she wanted me to audition. The only thing I knew in my head was, like, it's a one-way ticket to New York. Let me get the hell up out of here. Uh-huh. And so I danced with her company for about a year, and I was making good money. You know? So they paid you? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. Yes. I think that's always the rule of thumb that I learned in school is, like, make sure you have a paying job. Well, that was the other thing, too. Because you went to school... It puts you in front of someone like her who came and saw you. I guess it would be just like the NFL. You may be a great football player or a basketball player, NBA, in the hood. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in front of the recruiters on a college campus, then, you know, you're not going to be seen. Yeah, and I think the thing I I liked about her is that, you know, she gave me an opportunity. And I I did learn a lot because we did start touring. It was like the first time, or maybe the second time I I went overseas. But... Mm -hmm. I only danced with her for a year because when you're up in New York at 22 years old, it's yeah. like a kid in a candy shop. And it's feel like everything that you learned in school from like this choreographer, that choreographer, I was like, well, damn, I really want to dance with them. Mm-hmm. So I told myself after a year, I need to audition for other things. You know. What do you mean other things? Well, like there were other companies. Like mm-hmm. um, there was one company I wanted to dance with. One choreographer, his name was Bill T. Jones. Um, I went to his audition. I got cut. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. It, it happens in the dance world. And 
there's another choreographer by the name of Ronald K. Brown. Mm-hmm. And my sister, Camille Brown, uh, she was dancing with him at the time. And she said that he needed a guy. You should come to this audition. I went, made it all the way down, got a phone call from him like that night. And I was in the company. And I ended up dancing with him for about six years. And they pay. Oh, of course. Okay. Listen, this is the thing. You can't, I don't really believe in working for free. Uh-huh. Unless there's a barter system. But, but there is a period, though, that, listen, as an artist, that, that you have to do some things for free. And you have to surrender. But, it's like you said, it is a period. It there cannot, is a period. It can't consistently happen. So there are favors that you can do. Like if you're friends with a good choreographer and they're just getting their feet wet. And they say, hey, I need a couple of dancers in this space. Do you mind working these many hours? You say, well, hold, okay, well, we're good friends. I believe in their vision. I'm mm-hmm. going to work with them. Mm-hmm. Now, if this good friend started collecting money and they're still using you, at some point you have to say, hey, look. Well, I'm not even talking, <laughs> about, I'm not even talking about in an instance like that. I'm saying, for example, like this guy that you just said. What's the choreographer's name? Ronald K. Brown. Okay, so say for instance, he said, listen, I think you're really good. I think you're really dope. But I only have 10 positions that are paid and I have 15 that are not paid. And I want you for one of the 15 unpaid positions. Again, that is you. You have to think smart. Because, say, again, if he's who who you say he is, then that would behoove you to get the knowledge, get the exposure. Because I believe that every door that opens for you, it leads to something. It can mm-hmm. lead to something else. Now, I'm not saying you let somebody abuse you and take advantage. But I think that sometimes people think that when they're tr- when you're trying to get your feet wet, you're trying to gain wisdom mm-hmm. and experience. Sometimes you have to bite the bullet. And figure out a revenue stream someplace else. You might need to hustle, get your little fast food job or whatever, but be able to really put your time, energy, and effort in gaining that wisdom. And then when you get that experience under your belt, then you might want to say, oh, well, I've already uh, trained with... Okay, Brown. Right. And so I'm not doing anything for free. Sure. I think that's great, but... You know, when you're in New York City and you're paying rent and you know, I don't want a fast food job. <laughs> I don't want to cook burgers, which is there's no disrespect to anybody who do it. But it's like I knew I was like, I got to pay bills. And right. I knew that this was a paying job because we were taught you want to get a paying job. So how did you? But everybody can't get a paying job. No, no, absolutely. But I'm just saying from my experience, like and then and, the words of Denzel, you have to do what you you have to crawl before you walk. Well, right, right. But yeah. in the words of, of Denzel, he said, you do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. Sure. But go ahead. So how did you find your place? You got to New York. Yes. I got to New York. Uh, danced with Ron for about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, after those six years, I decided to move back to Atlanta. So the first woman, her company took you to New York. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was Carolyn Dorfman. And, and I, I only danced with her for a year. So where were you living during this time? Okay, here we go. So, I started doing couch surfing. I mean, okay. sorry, not, not not couch surf, surfing, but just staying on people's couches. Um, well, that's couch surfing. I guess it's the same thing. <laughs> you trying to you trying to pretty it up? No, 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 no. Like, um, yeah, I'm trying to think about it now. Yeah, I actually stayed with some friends and some friends I knew from school. So they were like, "Hey, you can sleep in my." living room x y and z and then it got to a point where i had to end up either paying them something right um so i was working and paying for that and then where eventually, were you working though with carol or yeah. something else no i was still working with carol and Dorfman, but i was saving my money so i can get my own spot so were you did you ever have to work a part-time gig See, or something this too? is the thing sometimes with touring companies like you you're rehearsing for like 
five hours. So you really a day. don't so have the I time. didn't have time. So right. me going to rehearsals and coming back home, it's like you wake it back up and you do it all over again. Companies are not as thriving as they used to. Right. Um, so a lot, there's a lot of independent projects. So you don't get the revenue that you want. So in that time, it was just about me saving my money, staying right. with friends until I was able to get on my feet. But what was scary is that after that year, it was a two months grace period where I didn't have nothing. So my friends were still gracious enough to let me stay on their couch. So like, how long did you stay with one friend? Um, for about, I would say for about a year. Okay. And you paid nothing? No, I paid something, but okay. it, like, even if it was like the groceries, right, right. light bill or something like that. Right, it, right. It was something. Right. So they had full-time jobs. Yeah. These were people that had jobs, like not like... It's the artist, like some of them didn't have full-time jobs. Some of them are, okay, so here's the thing. Sometimes as a dancer, you can have a part-time job, but you also can freelance. And what freelance means is that, oh, I'm going to work with this choreographer. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have a lot of money, but it still ignites my passion. I was in an apartment with artists. So it was, uh, how many of you in one apartment? It was three. A one-bedroom? One-bedroom. New York-size one-bedroom. New York-size. Now, the two people I was living with, they were a couple. So it was you and the two of them? Uh-huh. And so New York-size apartment is probably like the size of my living room. Small as hell, yes. It's like a little <laughs> matchbox. And so imagine that with a sheet over the living room, yeah. which was my room. Where your area was. Yes. And you probably didn't have central air, air conditioning. I did it? not, no. Yeah, I, I know New York no. well. <laughs> yeah, so it was hot. So this, but this is a part of what you're you're working towards. I believe that you know your success is on yeah. the other side of your sacrifice. So the question is, what are you willing to sacrifice to get to that success? Okay, so you stayed with one set of friends. How long did you, you stay with them for? About a year, and then for about a year, and then I had like a two months grace period. And um, in those two months, that's when I got my job with Ronald K. Brown. And in that moment, I said I didn't want to live here anymore. So, I Cause up, this, so this job is paying more. It's, it's, it's paying more. Is it double? It's, it's double, but okay. still, New York rent is not cheap. And to see, in New York, you have to do first and last month's rent, maybe. Sure. Or a broker fee or something, unless you sublet under somebody. Yes. Okay, so what happens? So I end up going further down in Brooklyn, Coney Island, Ooh. which I was like, why the hell did I go down there? But I had a friend I went to school with. She had just, uh, her two roommates left. And uh -huh. so she didn't have nobody to stay in those rooms. So I was like, in that case, I'd have to pay no broker's fee. I just right, right. You just come in. in. Yeah. And so I, I moved with her and another friend, which was D Woods. Okay, yeah. from Vanity Kane. Yeah. So okay, we, well, well, you know, I know her from um, YAA yeah. as well. So I know her as Juanita. Yeah, me too. I got a quick story. <laughs> a quick story, and then I'm going to let you finish. One day, I was over at Justin's Restaurant on mm -hmm. Peachtree Street. This is when Puffy had Justin's Restaurant still here. And the group was, they had already done making the band. Yep. She had already cut her hair, like the little asymmetrical haircut. It was slanted. And I was a fan of the show. Mm -hmm. I was a fan of the show. I had watched them put together Danny DeCane with the, um, with the what's the boy group? Um, uh, Day 26. Day 26. Mm -hmm. I watched all of that. Mm -hmm. I was a fan of the show. Had no idea that that was Juanita. <laughs> yeah. And so I, even watching the show, I didn't even know that was the same girl from YA because she was so quiet and so meek. And I knew her from YA as a dancer, not mm -hmm. as a singer. Mm -hmm. She was a dancer. And so I was at Justin's one night, and they would, she was there with her family, whomever she was there with, celebrating something. They had dinner. And I walked in, and I was on my way to an event in like that private room. 
and I'll never forget, she was walking right to, I knew who she was right away from the TV show. Mm-hmm. Still hadn't made the connection that this is the girl from YA that I was, that I used to write for. Oh, yeah. And so she's walking towards me, and, I, and I'm clear that this is the girl from Danny the Can. I'm like, why is she walking towards me smiling? And she reaches out and she hugs me, and it wasn't until she started talking that it clicked. Like, That's Juanita. I was like, Juanita! <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it was so crazy. I said, do you know I've been watching this show and had no clue that it was you? That's but she crazy. came to life. She came to us. She was so quiet in YA. She's the one that has like tricks up her sleeve. And I know. She, she, can, she can do everything. Right. So Okay, so you're living in an apartment yeah, in so Brooklyn. We're, we're, we're down in Coney Island. I'm uh-huh. living with um, my friend Kristen and with D. Woods, a.k.a. Juanita. Okay. And so what year is this? Because this is before this she is, did make in the band then. Yes. Yes. This is uh, 2000. No, this is still. No, this is 2004. Okay. 2004. Okay. Yeah. And I think at the time, she had just graduated from NYU. Juanita? Yeah. Oh, D. Woods. D. Woods. Just okay. graduated from NYU. So uh-huh. we were li- living in freaking Coney Island, which was like bum far. Like, uh-huh. it was like a 45-minute subway ride, which was like, ugh. Right. So, yeah. So I, we did that actually for ooh, for about a couple of months and until we moved, you know, moved into Harlem. Okay. So was it in Harlem that she went to making the band? Here's the thing. So when we were in Harlem, she had to be she had to be with us for a couple of months and there was a period where she just disappeared. Okay. And she said she was going out of town to do some things and I was like, "Okay." And I remember one time, I think we had to like switch rooms. I had, to, I had like a, another friend that was coming in. Uh-huh. And so she called me and she said, hey, Jewel, I need for you to come to Washington Square Park. I was like, okay, uh-huh. sure, sure, sure. So I get down there, and I'm like, why did she tell me to come down here? I was like, what's happening? All I know is this swarm of women, like, just coming down. Like, like they're, they're coming down. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, uh-huh. cameras. And I'm like, uh-huh. it, and I see her in, like, a halter. And I'm like, she's beat for the guys. Uh-huh. They're dancing and singing for money. I was like, what is going on? And so then she finally told me. She was like, well, I'm doing a show. Um, it's a reality show. I just thought I would, you know, just do it. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea it was going to, like, take off and, like, she was going to be in the group. So was what like, was this, like, a casting call or something? What was No, this? I think in that time period where she disappeared, I guess they had already done, like, the casting okay. and everything. And, and, and I think it was already, like, maybe the 20 girls. The last few that they yeah. were And so in that time period, they were taping the show, and I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're in, you moved to Harlem. <laughs> moved to Harlem, uh, 129th and Lennox. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, um, you're, right, you're right there by Sylvia. Child, yes. And so at that time, it was not only my friend Kristen and D. Woods, but we had another uh, roommate, Gemma. So it was four people living in an apartment because Harlem. One bathroom. Yes. Jesus. But it was a beautiful apartment. Beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful, long hallways. Did you have your so it was just one bedroom though? Like no, we oh, had oh we all had a bedroom, but it was just one bathroom. One bathroom. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what happened after you were working with this particular dancing company? Well, at the time, I, well, at the time, I was still dancing with Ronald K. Brown, and okay. I, and it and in that six years, I had moved from Coney Island to Harlem, mm-hmm. and I ended up staying in Harlem mm-hmm. until like um, it was time for me to dissolve with the company. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. how long were you with that company? Six years. And so then what did you do, do after that? I ended up moving back to Atlanta. Okay. And the reason why I, I ended up moving back to Atlanta is because I wanted to 
branch off into like choreography and mm-hmm. to teaching. And at this time, like this is like around 2007, eight. Mm-hmm. And so I had already made up in my mind that I wanted to come home and just kind of get familiar with the dance scene here mm-hmm. and just kind of choreograph and mm-hmm. yeah. What, what was your next big break after that particular dance company? Mm-hmm. Well, branching off into choreography, um, my big break was choreographing for Atlanta Ballet. Okay. And that was in 2012. So that was about four years after you mm-hmm. got back to Atlanta. But see, this is the thing. In between that, you know, I, I was going to Atlanta, but I had also, I was traveling. Because you were going to like North Carolina. I, I, I went back to North Carolina School of the Arts and I started mm-hmm. teaching for a couple of years. Um, and just going back and forth, like I had just had this whole thing where I was just teaching and bouncing back from Atlanta to North Carolina, going back up to New York. But during this time, like, were there ever moments that... Because for me, this conversation is about the life of an artist. Mm -hmm. Like, were there ever times or moments that you got so discouraged that you thought, you know, maybe this just isn't going to happen where I can really live well and take care of myself? Mm -hmm. Were there moments where you felt like maybe I've just been, maybe I had a great run, maybe it was great while it lasted, but I need something that's going to sustain me because I'm getting older. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that's why I got into teaching at North Carolina School of Arts because one, it was a steady paycheck, mm-hmm. and um, and even while I was doing that, I had like like just downfalls. Like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like this mm-hmm. is cool, but mm-hmm. I don't want to teach every day. Right. And but but what I started to like realize in the moments where I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I started to try to be practical and try to figure out how creative I can be, and that's probably what led me to dance on films and started creating my own films because I was bored which I do love to teach but there are moments where, I, where you're just you're not doing anything you're like I could be dancing I could mm-hmm. be choreographing I don't know what to do so mm-hmm. when you're at an art school or you have friends that are in the arts you know it was just a matter of me saying hey let me reach out to this cinematographer. Let's see if we can create something. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I think and then when you're working for a school, you have a certain curriculum yeah. that you have to follow. So it's not like you can always be extra creative and go outside of the boundaries that they've outlined for that semester or school year or whatever. Yeah, because you're constantly um, working in the school and like your purpose is there for the students. Right. And so they do give you like a little leeway for you to be an artist but mm. you know it, it can't like be for long periods of time right so you started reaching out to freelance photographers or videographers and putting your your stuff on on film well i actually reached out to my friend who's a cinematographer and mm-hmm. he actually went to school with me and um we just started creating you know mm-hmm. um i just kind of created like a narrative because well, I, think, I guess what people have to realize is that dance on film isn't new it's been around for years and i just thought well let me just take a stab at it what do you mean dance on film just putting yourself on camera or you put yourself on camera but you you create these narratives where it's It's a story story. so beginning a middle and end yeah so this particular story was called just another day and it was just about ordinary people and i wanted to focus on the art of how we naturally move because people always say well i'm not Coordinated, but what people don't realize is that when you brush your teeth, you are actually doing movement. It's a rhythm. Like yeah. so, so I wanted to focus on things like that. So that was the overall arc of that. Mm-hmm. And I just got some friends that were living in North Carolina. I was like, "Look, you want to do this?" Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and going back to that first question, yes, I didn't have a lot of money to mm-hmm. pay them, mm-hmm. but I gave them something, and mm-hmm. and and they actually were like, 
we want to see the finished product and we believe in what you're doing. Well, because the key is, and what I've what I've always realized from the time that I moved here, the key is to network laterally. Mm-hmm. You need to network with people that are on your level, not try to reach out. That would have been like you trying to reach out to uh, Jameson over at... Uh, Alvin Ailey, isn't that her mm-hmm. name? The, the former, Judith Jameson. Judith mm-hmm. Jameson. Yeah. The former artistic director. Like you, you need to network on your level. That would have been like when I first started off writing. I started off writing music. It would have been like me trying to reach out to a Missy Elliott. No, you reach out to the people that are right there at your same level. This is what whatever you're doing. Like I think you need to network at your level and not try to reach people who have far exceeded what you do mm-hmm. because they don't have time to reach out to you. They don't have time to try to help you. And if this is your dream, if this is your goal, then you have to do the work to get yourself to that point where those people are that you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. And so you networked with people that were... People who went to th- school with me. Right. So they were videographers <laughs> yeah. or photographers like or whatever. dancers. And videographers and, and, and just people that you know because and, and being at North Carolina School of the Arts like we had those resources while I was there as a teacher so I was mm-hmm. able to like kind of access things that were around me right so okay so what was your end goal like once you got this dance on film what was the end goal to push post it was to promote it on uh, YouTube or social media like what was the goal was it to use it as a reference tool for something like if you were going to audition or like you know like actors put together a reel mm-hmm. so was it was it for something like that well the first end goal was just to fulfill like my creative mm-hmm. curiosity mm-hmm. and then once I fulfilled that um, it actually got mentioned in dance magazine which mm-hmm. is a wonderful magazine that mentions a lot of dance um, mm-hmm. th- that is going on in the world um, f- for me it was just about um what else can I do with this? Mm-hmm. Because that was the main question, like, well, what's next? What's next was just trying to capitalize on it a little bit more. Because as an artist, Because it's another asked. job. Like, you yeah. know, if you can't dance, you know, okay, well, maybe I can be an administrator. Okay, well, maybe I want to get into this creative thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was just another uh, tier into what I want, what, what I do as a creative. Right. And as a creative, you're always asking yourself, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. So much so that I've I started to embed it in my prayers. God, what is it that you'll have me do next? What should I be doing next? Like, show me what's next. What are the next best steps? Those are the things that I kind of incorporated in my prayers now. But I think that what what often distracts people, people who are trying to become a choreographer or trying to become an artist or a writer or whatever, is they always say, well, I don't know where to begin. But the thing is, if if it comes to you naturally... All you have to do is do it, whatever that is. If you're, if you're a writer, then you need to be writing. Like when I sat down to write my first book, I didn't sit down with the, the knowledge that I was going to write a book. There was just something on my heart, mind, and my spirit that I needed to release. And so as I started writing it, I continued writing, continued writing. And before I knew it, it was 337 pages in, in a book. So I didn't, I didn't set out to write a book. I have people saying to me all the time, oh, I want to do a book of poetry or I want to do this. I don't know where to begin. Just take the first step because the fir- for every step that you take for yourself, God will take three for you. And once you create whatever it is that you do, whether it's the, the dance on film or whatever, a demo because you're singing, once you release that art, once you create that art, it will lead you. It will go where it needs to go. The people who need to hear it will hear it. The people who need to see it will see it. And the people who need to read it will read it. No, absolutely. I think that's 
that I think that is one of the biggest goals because you, you you're constantly reinventing yourself mm-hmm. and you're trying to find new ways to add to the conversation of your artistry. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've always been like that. You know, I, I I've never been the one to like kind of place myself in one particular box. It was like, mm-hmm. well, let me just do all these things because if I don't get them out, that's part of the reason why I did leave the dance company because I wanted to like, let me just see if I can figure this shit out. Right. On my own. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and, and and not get to a certain age where I'm saying, oh man, I wish I could have did that. It was like, let me do it now. Right. You know what because I mean? Because the goal for you may not have been to create your own dance company or the goal for you may not have been to try to go dance for Alvin Ailey. I think a lot of times when we, we, when we find ourselves in a specific industry, we think that our goal is to get in touch with, you know, like for me, like people have said to me so many times, oh my God, you need to send your books to Oprah. Like, why do I need to send them to Oprah? Now, now I'm not saying that it wouldn't be amazing yeah. for her to read it and to mention the books, but what I'm saying is my only goal is to get my books to the people. If the people read it, if, if, if Oprah is meant to read the books, they will fall in her hands. If you spend more of your energy trying to get the books to Oprah, then you're not doing the energy of promoting and marketing mm-hmm. your book to the masses. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to tell my mom and like all of the people. They're like, well, did you send the book to Ellen? What about Gail? Maybe Gail can get it to Oprah quicker. But my thing is, I'm promoting it to the people. And I just feel like if it's meant to be, the universe will take care of yep. that. I don't have to spend my energy and time and effort because then you're not doing anything else. And I think that that's the part that people miss. Whether you're chasing your dream as an entrepreneur, like I literally saw something on social media the other day. They showed, it was a picture of a young girl. I think she's 26. It says she's the youngest Chick-fil-A franchisee. Hmm. And I was looking in the comments. I was on Instagram. I was looking in the comments, and all I saw, all of these people were saying, oh, my God, I need to get in touch with her. Ooh, can she tell us how she did it? But my thing is, figure that shit out. Like, a lot of times, people just want you to hand it to them. They want you to write it down in the manual mm-hmm. and say, here, here's how I did it. Here's every step that I took. But nobody's steps are going to be a carbon copy. Nobody's steps are going to be identical. And so all you have to do is create your own path. And that's why that's what I try to do with this podcast. I try to bring on entrepreneurs and artists and that kind of thing to tell you how they did it. Just to kind of inspire you. Maybe it will trigger something. But your path is going to be completely different. There and, might be some similarities, but... And there's so many things that are like in the palm of our hands, like social media. Social media. But the thing about it, everybody don't know how to use social they media. Don't. Because sometimes people will post these lovely pictures on there, but then <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, well... Can you really sing? Can you really dance? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, like, people think that, oh, they're going to like my pictures. This is going to be, like, instant fame. Right, and it's like, right. no. Like, there's a process. Like, right. you got to be strategic. When you're on that thing, you got to figure out how can I brand myself, be very authentic. Like, mm-hmm. this is me. Who mm-hmm. you see here, I can back it up ten times more. But you, you know, know I mean? why people don't usually try to figure out how to do that? It's because they're too busy trying to get their product or their page announced on a bigger page. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I could just get the shade room to post this video of me doing this. Or if I could just get such and such. But you don't have to. Like, create your own platform. Like you said, you have iTunes. If you're an artist, you can put your music out on iTunes. You don't have to have a record deal. You can put your music on, on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. You can put it on YouTube. Yep. There's so many avenues for people to find your content, to find your work. Whatever it is. Not just singing. Whether you're, you're a, a writer. That's why I'm trying to put together this this um, audio book for how to self-publish mm-hmm. a book because people keep asking me they, they tear my inbox up well how did you do it how can I do it can you tell me how to do it can you read my book 
I don't read people's word because mm-hmm. one, I'll be too distracted. I wouldn't get my own stuff done. That's one. Two, that's the easiest way to get sued. I could be working on something right now and because you send me your manuscript and then I put my book out next year, you think that I stole your idea or your concept. But the thing is, the same way that I figured it out, you can figure it out. We have the internet, the World Wide Web. That's the fastest way to find anything. Google whatever it is that you're looking for. And then as you start to take the steps and you start to create this momentum, your friends and strangers will start to take notice of what you're doing and they will push you. They will start to help you because they see you consistently working Mm -hmm. on whatever it is that you do. But again, I always tell people it's about the process. It is the process. People can't rush it. And like, you know, we do live in a generation where we want it right now right now but you know yeah like if it's all about your work and i think your work speaks to like your level of success Mm -hmm. people always say well you have to have these things to be successful but it's like if i'm putting in the work and i'm doing it and and i'm getting fulfillment then that's my level of success exactly you know what i mean exactly that's the reward not getting the money getting the money is not the reward the reward is that you're actually doing what you say you love to do and part of the process Part of the process sometimes means going home, staying at home so you can save your money and focus mm-hmm. on your craft and whatever it is that you do. Because everybody's not going to be fortunate to couch surf. I was fortunate to couch surf a few times too. And while I was couch surfing, I was writing. Mm-hmm. I was creating. I was doing trailers for television shows. Like I was doing all of that stuff. Creating my greeting card business. So you, you're not just couch surfing. And not doing anything like you're actually doing the work. Yeah, that's that's true. Because I always tell my students now, um, it's nothing wrong with a nine to five. Like mm-hmm. I think people get this thing where like, let me move to New York because I'm gonna get a job right away. And it's mm-hmm. like, get your nine to five so you can pay your rent, mm-hmm. you can pay whatever, and then on your free time, that's when you become an artist or like right. just kind of like managing all that at the same time. Right. But don't go anywhere whether it's L. A. or mm-hmm. You know, just get your nine to five. You have to have a way to be able to take care of your day to day. Yeah. Because if you don't have a way to create or to take care of your day to day, then you're going to be frustrated. And you're not going to be, you're going to be so frustrated that you're not going to be able to create anyway. Because you're going to be worried about how you're going to buy food. You're going to be worried about how you're going to pay rent or where you're going to stay or even down to buying toiletries. I remember there were times that my money was so tight because I made the mistake of deciding too soon that I was either going to work a job or be an artist. And I said, oh, I'm going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work this job. But it was in time. Like, you'll know when it's time for you to step out there completely. And it doesn't mean that when you do that it's going to be easy at that point because there's still going to be ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. But, like, I made the decision because I was like you, young, 22. I had just moved here. And I was like, ah, fuck this job. I ain't going to this job. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I got to that point because I felt like the job was in the way. But then I found that most of the days that I was home, I was so uh, vexed and overwhelmed with financial stuff that I couldn't even think long enough to be creative anyway. So I may as well have taken my ass to a job. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to take care of your day to day. You have to have some money coming in to be able to feel good about yourself and not be overwhelmed and consumed with day to day stuff. Yeah. And like, even if it's not like a nine to five, if, if you know you're good at taking pictures or you mm-hmm. know you're good at like fixing up instagram stuff right. or like you know use all that to your advantage yeah you just so, have to have a revenue stream. yeah and, and, and have people like say well you can pay me this or that you know mm-hmm. so that way you have some kind of income with some kind of way to to not just sit around and be waiting mm-hmm. you know and part of the process too i found is 
having those those moments where there's a lull where nothing is happening. You know what I mean? Like you said, there was a two month period before you went to that that second dance company. Like there was nothing there. But that's a part of the process because there are there are so many lessons in that still moment for you. Mm -hmm. It was that two month period. Those are those moments for you to reevaluate. And it's scary because you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because sometimes in those two months, you can be going to audition after audition after yes. audition and nothing happens. You're like, what am I going to do? But when nothing is happening, that's when you're supposed to go internally. I've learned that now. That's when you go internally and that's when you become your most creative. Because nothing is going on. That's all by design. That's all intentional. I have a friend who's an actor and he just moved here. He's been staying with me. And he moved here from across the country. Mm. He has a little job, you know what I mean, just to keep some money coming in. He had money saved when he moved here. Yeah. And he has these auditions and these auditions. And he's only had one, I think he's had one role. But he's only been here since January. So that's a start. So that's a start. Yeah. But my thing is, what I said to him the other night, because he came home the other night all vexed. And see, I know this feeling because I've been there. And he's looking at me like, oh my God, your books are doing so well. And da, da, da. But it wasn't always that way. There were moments where you have to take time to live, too. And I told him, I said, you have to step back. I said, you're trying to manipulate the dream. You're trying to control it. You're trying to manage it. You got to take your hands off yeah, you of it. You cannot manage You got to take your hands no, off of it. Micromanage that bad No, boy. you've done your part. You're, you're going to these auditions. You're putting the energy out there. And I believe that the energy put it, that you put into the world it has to come back. It's like a boomerang. It has to come back. It may not come back when you want it to come back, and it may not come back in the audition mm -hmm. or the form that you want it to come but it'll come back. You that's just why have to keep going. It, yeah, I was going to say, that's why it's good to stay consistent and you gotta be persistent because I run across people sometimes where they feel like they've done these big things and they're like, well, I've done that. Mm. What's next? I'm like, well, shoot, you can do it again. Right. <laughs> because what they think is there's a checklist. Well, I've already done that. Just I, like, I moved across the country. Yeah. I said, right, now you got you a job so you can live. I said, you could be living in your car. Yeah. You could be living in your car, but you're not. I said, but you are still getting auditions because there's somebody sitting around wishing they had the yep. auditions to go on. Yep. Or just but the guts to go to one. Exactly. Yeah. I said, but this is, this is honing your craft. Every time you audition, it's not always about you booking the job. This is about you honing the craft. And that's what I realized. I learned that lesson so many years ago. It took me a minute. The, 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 the lesson was in front of me, but I, I hadn't absorbed it. And so I kept repeating that lesson. And so I'm going to tell you when I really finally got the lesson, I had released my first book. And when I released my first book, I had announced and announced and announced that this first book was coming. The very first reading that I did, it was standing room. Then I went home. It was in Atlanta. And then I went home, did one in Baltimore. I saw people from my middle and elementary school. The, it was a line. Mm -hmm. Then I ended up getting to, keep going, I ended up getting down to a signing where there were only about six, seven people. So I didn't went from a line in standing room to about six, seven people. I was like, oh my God. And my mom happened to be at that signing with me. This was in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And my mom was just like, she, she knew. She knew that I was feeling a, a kind of way about it. And she said to me, well, I hope you're not upset about the turnout. She said, because the conversation was really good. She said, in fact, the conversation here was even better than some of the other ones where you had all of those people. She said, because the people here were so engaged. You were able to spend so much more time with them. Mm -hmm. And then what about that young boy? Because it was a young boy. He wandered into this bookstore. I'd done it at this bookstore in Philadelphia. 
And he just came in to get some of the little free condoms on the side. And long story short, he overheard me talking and reading. So he stayed behind and he shared his story with me. He was telling me that his mom had put him out because she found out he was gay. He was in college. She stopped paying for his education. She put him out. Then she called her sister, which, which was his aunt, told them that he was gay not to deal with him. So he didn't have anybody. So he was homeless. And... Essentially, he started living with this strange man that he met one day, and he was basically staying with the man in exchange for sex. So we ended up having this conversation. So my mom brought all of that to me. She said, look at, look at what happened. Look at this. She said, you can't be discouraged by that. And so I started to look at the intent, and I reminded myself, Craig, if you said that you really want this to be about reaching, teaching, and healing people, mm-hmm. then you can't be discouraged if it's only five people at the front. That's when it changed me. That's, you know, that's really interesting. I think that's one of the reasons why I went into teaching because teaching teaches you patience and it teaches you a lot about yourself. And I had told myself if I ever had the opportunity, I am going to teach these young boys like what it's really like, like just telling them like what they need to do as a performer. And it just brings me joy when I see students doing the work. And, Mm -hmm. And like I always say, well, I was a part of that. I think that's that's like the biggest reward you can get yeah and i think that when you have all of those things at play that's when the universe rewards you and moves you to the next level which is crazy because since you're talking about that i got the opportunity to teach for ailey two a couple of years ago alvin ailey yeah Mm -hmm. and so this was like the second company and troy Mm -hmm. powell is the artistic director so i so i would teach for Ailey too all the time and I was like well you know what let me just send him my choreographic stuff so he'll you know like it uh-huh. but think about if you hadn't put together that stuff but what, what what's crazy is you that you would have had it to send I never got a, a response back I was like dog man so mm-hmm. fast forwarded to like maybe 2016 Robert Battle the artistic director of Ailey Mm-hmm. He has a lab where it gives choreographers an opportunity to just work with the students and work with things. Troy came to that. So mm-hmm. they saw my work. A couple of months later, they was like, do you want to choreograph on the company? I was like, right. okay, right. this is happening. Right. But all that teaching and like film and everything just kind of like... It all worked full together. Full circle, like yeah. stay the course, stay patient. It will happen. Yeah. It may not happen right now, but mm-hmm. if, if you stay consistent, it mm-hmm. will come. Right. And I think with anything, if I could, my, my last words on this would be, if I could offer anything to an artist or an entrepreneur, you have to trust your instincts. I think oftentimes we get so distracted with the voices in the world that we don't get to hear that it drowns out the, the voices in our head. Mm-hmm. And I personally think that, that that still voice that you hear, that's your conscience, your subconscious, that, that gut feeling, that's God speaking directly to you. And I think oftentimes it gets crowded crowded by all of the, the your fear, but then also your mom saying, well, well, how are you going to do that? Or your friend saying, oh, how are you going to do that? Oh, girl, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, boy, I don't think that's a good idea. And it's not always about people hating. I think sometimes there is hate. Sometimes people don't want to see you get further. But I think more times than not, it's people who care about you and they don't want you to make a misstep. Especially like with your mom. Like my mom used to tell me as a writer, I used to tell her, I'm a writer. I was telling her this in college and I was moving to Atlanta. And she said, boy, you better go and get a job with a 401k. She said, that's a hobby. Mm. But look now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. now she sees the vision. But you have to be able to trust your instinct. And that's what anything. 
And like your instincts will guide you every step of the way. There is no roadmap. There's no correct way or wrong way. You just have to trust your instincts and be very persistent. It's like you're almost like your internal blueprint that you have yes. for yourself, and like, and you have to trust that. And yeah, that's what I mean. That's what got me so much further and I'm still like on that path and like I always tell people like I haven't got to a point where I feel like I'm the shit I've arrived it's like yeah. no I'm, I'm I'm still trying to like up myself even more but I know? don't think you'll ever feel like you've arrived like I wonder that about over does she feel like she's arrived now, granted she's mm-hmm. rich but do you ever feel like that because if she did she wouldn't be doing all of this stuff that she does why would she need to do a network why would she still produce film mm-hmm. why would she still go around the country telling people to live their best life like if if it was really about feeling like you've done it all, she would go somewhere and sit down. You stop, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think it's about just wanting more and wanting to just challenge yeah. yourself even more. It's like once you get the buzz or whatever that spark is, you want to keep going with that and you want to f- figure out how can I create other entities from mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to what I was saying before too. It's like, what's my next step? God, what is my next best step? Guide my feet, direct me. Use my words, use my gift, use my life, use my light. So where does your creativity come in with, in terms of a social life or dating life? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because it used to be, oh, I don't have time because I'm really busy. And, and the only reason I would say that because I, I, I do travel a lot and mm-hmm. I think Sometimes people don't understand it. They think, okay, yeah, okay, so you'll be back, like, you know, for two days. I'm like, no, I may be gone for, like, three months, or I may be go, gone for, like, a couple of weeks. And so I, I don't think dating is hard, but I think you have to be smart about it. And I think it's about communicating with uh, that particular person. Um, the, the last person I dated, and I never think as dates or relationships as failures. Mm-hmm. It's always something, like, to kind of teach you more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um but it's just about taking the time. Like, I think it's hard to date another artist. <laughs> just in my opinion. So how long have you been single? Ooh, child. Um, <laughs> honestly, I've been single for a while. But I've had dates here and there. And like usually, like you know, my dates last about what the four to six month time span. Uh huh. And I'm okay with that. Uh-huh. You know, um, I just think. For me, my schedule is always hectic, and you just—it just takes a very special person who really gets you. And I think that person is out there, somebody who can genuinely connect with you and and, and want to see you win and want to. I think it takes a special person to love an artist. Yeah, because first of all, we're just eccentric, and we don't work a nine to five. And so sometimes my phone... Schedule is unpredictable. Yeah, schedule is unpredictable. <laughs> and sometimes my phone is ringing or, or emails are coming through. I'm checking emails at 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I don't need you looking over saying, well, who is that? What are you doing? You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just a different kind of thing. And I don't think everybody can handle being with someone who really, truly is doing what they were called to do. It's one thing to go and work a job. But it's another thing to really follow your life's passion and to do your life's work. Mm-hmm. Because those those hours are unorthodox. But I do think that person is out there. I just that person is out there. I haven't met them yet. But, you right. know, at some point I will. But in, in the meantime, in between time, you know, um, dating is fun. But dating is interesting, too, because, see, yeah, you may be gone at three, for three months at a time. 
But the reality is this. Dating should be a slow burn. See, y'all so used to microwave. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the cusp of that microwave and that slow cook. But mm-hmm. I believe in taking. Again, I'm the magic word is process. Taking right, your time. Right. I am a believer of taking my time. I know we are all over the place, and and and, and we like to take our times, and we don't like to be rushed. Right. So yeah. no, we don't. I don't like to be rushed. <laughs> no. Now you know, my cousin used to actually say, she used to say, "You always like the ones you gotta chase." She said, you don't, you don't ever like the ones that like you. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> she said, why is that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I thought about it. She said, look, what about this one? And what about that? Like, like, nope, nope. Right. I always, <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think it's an ego thing for me. I think I have to feel like I've won the prize. Hmm. That I had to work for it. You know what I'm saying? I guess if you just right there and you calling me and you... Now, not not once I'm in it. Once I'm in it, like, yes, I want you to show interest and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not saying that, but like, you know. But in terms of your thing, when you're talking about dating and you might be gone for three months at a time, but that can make it interesting. Because if the person is able to come to you, I don't know if you're able to sometimes come back to visit, but if they're able to come to you and, you know, it allows you to really get to know the person and them to get to know you because you're not in each other's company. All the time. All the time. It's yeah. I think it just takes like strong communication and like really knowing where you guys stand. Mm. But I think a huge part of it too is the qualities that often draw people to you are often the same qualities that make them insecure. So sometimes a person is so excited that you're an artist. Oh my God, he's a dancer. He's working mm-hmm. with. He's teaching classes at Alvin Ailey and da 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 da. But then they can't really handle you on a regular Tuesday. When you're like, oh, I'm at rehearsal and I'm going to be here till 11 o'clock at night. You know, they're like, well, are you really at rehearsal? Like that kind of thing. Like you fell in love with this whole ambition thing. But now that we're in the thick of it, you're looking at me like, I can't really deal with this. I need a little more time. Well, that's why I think boundaries should come into place. Like saying, look, you know, we got to set some boundaries to say, you know, I'm, I'm gone, you know, blah, blah, blah. What, whatever happened in... The meantime, like that needs to be discussed out on the table. So nobody gets hurt. Nobody is insecure. Nobody is trying to wait by the phone and say, are you going to call me? But the thing is, you can't really manage somebody's expectations or their insecurities because I can't cure your insecurities. Because like, for example, if we're together and I'm calling you and letting you know and I'm touching base, I'm keeping lines of communication. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm at, I'm at rehearsal. Or, hey, babe, I got a book signing. Or, hey, I got to fly out of this. You know, I, I'll be back tonight or, you know, whatever. I could be doing all of that. But if you come to this relationship with insecurities, I can't cure that. That's right. A relationship doesn't cure insecurities. Like, that's something that, that's your work that you have to do before you get to me, preferably. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's also, too, um, it's like I always ask myself I was like what am I projecting out in the world what do you mean because sometimes like whatever you're projecting I feel like you can get that in a date or somebody that you want to hold space with and you're like hmm and especially if it keeps happening if it's the same well, that's pattern, a pattern if it's the same yeah, pattern and it's, and it's like ooh you gotta up your standards a little more oh, I'm there. <laughs> that's that's why he's single. Because yeah, I, listen. I used to confuse, and I say this all the time. I used to confuse compromise with settling. Yep. There are things that you can compromise: paint color, where we go to dinner, where we gonna go for vacation, uh, things like that. But in terms of my boundaries and what 
I expect in a relationship and moral moral value and boundaries. Uh uh-uh, uh, I can't compromise those. Those are those are those are. Those are boundaries. So it is what it is. Yep. So in the meantime, I'm enjoying being single. So what do you have coming <laughs> up? Can you tell us, is there anything coming up that we should look out for? Um, I actually have a piece on the second company of Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. It's called Touch and Agree. And I also have another piece called How to Kill a Ghost, which is on Dallas Black Dance Theater. So those pieces are currently on tour right now. Okay. So... Yeah. So what cities, um, where can we find the details? Is there a website? If or you go to alvinailey.org okay. and you go to dallasblack.com and okay. you, you'll be able to find where these pieces have legs and where they're going. Okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you for coming on and sharing with the people your story and how to stick to their passion and run to their dreams if you will. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. I don't know if you're listening in SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you listen to a podcast, we're there. Just make sure you hit the subscribe button so that each and every Monday when we drop a brand new show at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you will get the notification. The show's archived, so you don't have to listen to them right at 10 a.m., but they'll always be there for you because, again, they archive. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your family, your social media. That's how we grow. All right? Be safe. Keep loving yourself.
Thank you.